Is the Novus Ordo Mass the new order of the Mass from 1969-1970, issued by Pope Paul VI, designed by Archbishop Annabal Bugnini, with the influence of some Protestants? Is that Mass the Mass of the early Church? This has become a new apologetic, a new talking point in people defending the new order of the Mass. I'm talking about the Novus Ordo Mass. You get in discussions about the traditional Latin Mass, Novus Ordo Mass. Obviously, this is a big topic right now because Pope Francis is putting the hammer on the traditional Latin Mass. We're seeing that in America with Cardinal Supic in Chicago and other places. Please pray for everyone involved. And I've been hearing it more and more in the last two months. So somebody's popping up this narrative. Somebody's resurrecting this narrative of the Novus Ordo is better than the Latin Mass because the Novus Ordo is older. It is the Mass of the early church. That's the claim. So I went in and found a few tweets on Twitter with this. So here is Catherine gets boosted on Friday. Catherine's really pumped about getting her booster shot. She says, there is nothing traditional about the Tridentine Rite. Wow. You better tell Thomas Aquinas and St. Pius V and St. Pius X that because they sure thought it was traditional. But Catherine gets boosted on Friday. She's setting the record straight for y'all. I'm really glad Catherine gets boosted on Friday is letting us know. She says, it was promulgated in the 1500s. Did you know that the traditional Latin Mass, although it was promulgated, seems kind of like she's saying that it was created in the 1500s. O-T-O-H, on the other hand, I think that's what that means. On the other hand, the Novus Ordo dates back to the first century. Catherine, I did not know this. You are such a liturgical scholar. Thank you for the info, Catherine gets boosted on Friday. She also says, also, the very phrase Novus Ordo is Latin. <laughs> well, Catherine, you are on point. She's right. Novus Ordo is a Latin phrase. It means new order. Dot, dot, dot. And so are its rubrics from which all other language forms are translated. Whoa. Then uh, a second tweet here from Catherine gets boosted on Friday. The Novus Ordo is the Latin mass that is celebrated according to the traditions of the first century, not the 1960s. Catherine gets boosted on Fridays letting us know this is first century. This is straight. The Novus Ordo is straight up what Peter and Paul said. I mean, if you went to mass with Peter and Paul, you were going to see the Novus Ordo according to Catherine gets boosted. The Tridentine Rite only came into ascendancy in response to the Reformation. Read Justin Martyr and then read the germ. That's the general instruction on the Roman uh, Missal. Wow. Here's another uh, tweet expert. Uh, this is Bill Martin LXA. I'm not following you. Please read the early church fathers. The mass they describe is the Novus Ordo. That's right. So if you're reading the church fathers like, uh, I don't know, St. Basil, St. Uh, John Chrysostom, um, Gregory the Great, St. Leo the Great, 
I mean, throw in there Justin Martyr, St. Irenaeus, any of those early church fathers. The mass they're doing is the Novus Ordo Mass from 1969-1970. So they're setting the record straight. Is that the case, though? My friend Joey showed this. We're going to pray. My friend Joey showed me this clip. New clip. Let me share it with you. I believe well, I'll play it and then I'll tell you my thoughts on it. So here we go. Guys, this is the early church. This is what Peter and Paul are doing. Tu sei dentro questo pane Gesù. Tu sei dentro questo vino Gesù. Ai 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 Gesù. Ai 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 Gesù. Tu sei dentro questo pane Signore. Tu sei dentro questo vino Signore. Ai 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 Signore. Ai 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 Signore. Tu sei dentro questo pane Gesù. Tu sei dentro questo vino Gesù. Ai 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 Gesù. Ai 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 Gesù. Tu sei dentro questo pane Signore. Tu sei dentro questo vino, Signore, noi ti ringraziamo per il pane, Signore, noi ti ringraziamo per il vino, Signore, ai 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 ai, Signore. Okay, so, oh man, I, that, I think that's Italian. Sounds like Italian to me, could be wrong, maybe it's a different language. Just a guy from Texas, I think that sounds like Italian. So straight up. My friends, I mean, we listen to these liturgical scholars on Twitter, what they're telling us. That, the Novus Ordo, bringing up the gifts, doing a little twirl, doing a little elevation, bring it back down, do a little twirl. Should I do a twirl? Not very graceful. I'm sorry. I go to the Latin Mass. I'm not trained in the first century Mass of the Novus Ordo. All right, we're going to get into some of the points of the Novus Ordo of what's claimed to be early church. And then we're going to look at some of the Latin Mass of what's claimed to be the early church. You make the call. Do your own research. With that, we're going to pray the Our Father in Latin. And we'll get into the content. Oremus nomini patris et fidi, spiritus sancti, amen. Pater noster, qui es in celi, sanctificetra nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cello et in terra. Panem nostrum quotidianum de nobis odie, dimite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Amen. Nomini Patris, et Fidi, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right, the early church. For those of you just joining us, we watched a little fun video. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of Beatles-esque. You know, it's got that, um, my friend Joey, who shared this with me, he said it sounds like 80s uh, sitcom music. That guitar kind of sounds like a, a George Harrison lead guitar thing. And then the chorus is very kind of Beatlesque. You know, kind of get that head bobble on. You kind of want to give it the thing. 
And what's funny about it, just as an observation, is there's actually two cam two video cameras here. You've got two video shots. So they've really got some commitment on their videography because you got this shot and then you got the right-handed shot, right? We've got the priest and the mask. And then what's interesting is this is a youth mass. So um, you should watch my video, Where Are All the Youth? I did a music video of these kind of Novus Ordo masses with the hype, hip to be, cool music. And what's interesting is when you watch this, all the teenagers are totally cringing. Nobody's pumped or excited. So look at the look at the teen response here. Everyone's just like, make it stop. Look at the audience. Look at the look at the kids. Folded arms. Make it stop. Throw uh, in the uh, orange uh, tights. He's just like, what's going on? The other thing that's interesting about it is this, although it's not like a super advanced choreography is, you know, they had to spend at least 20 minutes getting this thing together, synchronized and all that. Now, one of the things, one of the reasons I show this is one of the things that people say about the Nos Ordo is the lay people bringing up the gifts. It's so early church. It's so first century, you know, the traditional Latin mass, you may have noticed, doesn't have lay people bringing the bread and wine to the altar to meet the priest. And there's the bow and there's sometimes a shaking of a hand. And thank you. Thank you for bringing the gift, you know, because I usually wear a suit or, you know, and when I, in the past, when I was at Novus Ordo's a long time ago, if they see a dude in a suit, they're like, Hey man, you want to bring up the gifts? Like if you're wearing a suit, you got your stuff together or you got a nice looking family, like the ushers are like beelining to you. Hey, you want to bring up the gifts? Because bringing up the gifts is an integral part to the Novus Ordo. They want to make sure. And I always said, hey, if it's going to be me and my heritage bringing up the gifts, I either want to dress like a Irish druid because, you know, they have people dressed up like Aztecs and all kinds. We should dress up like I old school Irish people pre-Patrick, St. Patrick. Or I get to dress up like a cowboy, like a, uh, a pearl snap shirt, a bolo, not a tie, a bolo, boots, spurs, Wrangler jeans. I'm wearing Wrangler jeans right now. I'm halfway there. I want to rep. I want to enculturate the mass. That's what Nova Sordo is all about. So the bringing up the gifts is allegedly one of the things that's so ancient and early about the Nova Sordo. Another thing that's allegedly early and ancient about the uh, Novus Ordo is the offertory prayers, which are sort of adopted, adapted Jewish table prayers. They're like, well, Christ and the apostles were Jewish, so they would have used Jewish prayers. So let's find some prayers from Jews and put them in the mass at the offertory. There is zero evidence that those prayers were part of the Roman rite in the offertory. But it sounds so ancient and so cool, just like lay people bringing up the bread and wine um, in an offertory. Now, there actually is some evidence of a presentation and a bringing in of the bread and wine. But when you read the actual ancient text, it's usually the lower ministers, that is the minor orders, 
like acolytes and subdeacons who are helping prepare. And in the traditional Latin Mass, if you go to a solemn high Mass, you'll actually see the subdeacon handling those parts of the liturgy. So it's it's evoking back. There weren't really, you know, they weren't going around in the first century looking for a sharp-dressed man and his family and saying, do you want to bring up the gifts to St. Peter? He's going to be waiting at the altar and you, you're going to bring, your family's going to bring the gifts up. No, uh, because we know from St. Jerome and many of the church fathers, lay people could not touch the sacred vessels. It was banned. There are canonical censures excommunicating people and preventing lay people from not just touching the Eucharist, but touching the vessels. Only a subdeacon, a deacon, a priest, and a bishop in tradition can touch the sacred vessels in the liturgy and outside the liturgy. This is why if you go to traditional Latin Mass, you'll only see subdeacons, deacons, priests, and bishops touching the ciborium, the chalice, all those things. And if you do see someone who's not in those orders, they'll be wearing white gloves or black gloves to touch and handle those things because they cannot come into contact with them because they are not ordained to sacred orders. Does that make sense? Another thing about the Novus Ordo that's supposed to be first century and so school, so old school and so ancient is the priest facing people over a wooden Ikea table. Now, this was actually very popular in the 1940s and, and 50s. In fact, a lot of liturgical scholars in the 50s were all convinced that in the early church, the priests, the bishops were actually facing the people around a table. So it was like a communal, uh, circular affair. But as we do archaeology and we look at the catacombs and we've discovered churches even in the Middle East and antiquity, and we look at the customs amongst the Copts, the Egyptian early Christians and the Greeks, what do we find? We find the priest facing with the people at the altar. There are some exceptions. For example, at St. Peter's, St. Peter's, because of where it's built on the Vatican Hill, the church could not face east at Orientum. So what happens is, is the church has a westward orientation, but the Pope, when he says Mass there, still faces east. And it's most likely the case that when it came to the Mass, the people still faced together. They faced to the east it's a, a unique situation. Um, there are other places where the altar is oriented east and the congregation would be that direction towards them. But the majority custom in the early church, in catacombs and in all these places, is that the priest is facing with the people. And you can kind of see this in this funny meme that I found. Please tell me again how early priests in the early church originally faced the people. And here's an ancient altar um, against the wall. Similar things have been found in the Middle East, ancient Christian sites. So that's what's going on. The other things that they changed, for example, was the Kyrie eleison. In tradition, St. Gregory the Great, Pope, who died in 604, talks about the unique Roman custom that in Rome, in the Mass, the people say, and there's Lord have mercy. And when they say something unique in Rome that the Greeks don't do, St. Gregory talks about this in his, I'll give you the citation if you want to look it up. 
It is, oh, help me, help me, help me find it. Here it is. He's writing in his epistle to Bishop John of Syracuse. And he says here that the Greeks all recite the Kyrie eleison together over and over and over. But in Rome, there is a apostolic tradition going back to the apostles in that they say Kyrie eleison three times. Then they switch and they say Christe eleison, Christ have mercy three times. And then Kyrie eleison again. And he says there's a back and forth between the bishop and the people, the pope and the people which is exactly how we do it in the traditional Latin Mass in 2022. It is not what they do in the Novus Ordo. The Novus Ordo, instead of having a ninefold Kyrie, well, they say Kyrie eleison three times, Christe eleison three times, and Kyrie eleison three times for the Father, the Son, Christ, and the Holy Ghost. In the Novus Ordo, the priest says, Lord, have mercy. And when the people say, Lord, have mercy, and this is Christ, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, a sixfold Kyrie. We know for a fact in the early church it was not a sixfold. That's not how it was done. We have actual texts that you can read. So that's yet another example of the Novus Ordo claiming to be older, primitive, early church, when in fact actual research, actual texts from the early church show that it is not the case. By the way, St. Thomas Aquinas, I teach a whole course on the Roman Rite in the Latin Mass, if you want to get into all this and actually get into what church fathers and popes and the various missals, actual missals and sacramentaries that we have found actually say about the traditional Latin Mass in Rome. If you want to take that, you can go to newsaintthomas.com. I offer a, a, a pretty extensive course that includes how to attend the Latin Mass, the history of the Latin Mass, history of the Roman Rite, the church calendar, um, even basic things like how to make the responses in Latin, Greek, etc. You can do all that at newsaintthomas.com. I highly, highly encourage you to check that out. Thousands of people have benefited by taking that course. We also do the New Testament in Catholic tradition, the Old Testament, Catholic philosophy, theology. It's all there. If you like these YouTube videos, you're going to like this even more, newsaintthomas.com. But I go through every part of the traditional Latin Mass and show where it is testified to in the early church. And there are some developments, okay? I'm not here telling you that the traditional Latin Mass in 1962 Missal is exactly what Pope Damasus was saying in the year 380. There are developments, there are updates. For example, the addition of the Agnus Dei comes much later. Um, there are some changes to the Roman canon that are made by Gregory the Great, who dies in 604. But after that, it's, it's immutable. It's not changed. So we go through some of those minor changes and those minor developments. Um, but I think you'll see as you go into the actual history and documents that the Roman mass, the traditional Latin mass that you experience at a traditional Latin mass in 2022 is the ancient liturgy and not the Novus Ordo. In other words, this is not... That is not what Peter and Paul said. Now, another thing you'll hear is um, from defenders of the Novus Ordo and that legacy is they'll say, well, the early church was all about vernacular. And that's one of the beauties of Vatican II and the Novus Ordo is we have the vernacular. We can actually understand the mass. The priest has a microphone on his face or a microphone on top of the sacred altar of sacrifice. And he's speaking into the microphone so that we can hear him and understand 
and be actively participating in the liturgy. Is that true? Well, we know for a fact that Peter and Paul, when they celebrated the Mass, the Eucharist in Rome, they were using Greek. One way you know this is when Paul writes to the church in Rome, it's called the Epistle of St. Paul to the Romans, it is written in Greek. Also, a gospel was written for the Church of Rome. It was the account of St. Peter as compiled by his secretary and assistant, St. Mark. It's called the Gospel of St. Mark. We have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that Gospel, written for the Roman Christians, is written in Greek originally. There's actually some Latin words um, that appear in that Gospel. It's a really interesting phenomenon. I go over that, by the way, in New St. Thomas. Uh, dot com on the online courses when we go through the new testament we go in the gospel of mark i highlight those those latinisms that are in mark's gospel so we know mark's gospel is the roman gospel it's peter's gospel and it has sort of these latin elements but it's written in greek now let me ask you something if you went to the first century let's say the year 60 in the year of our lord what is the street language in rome what is the vernacular in rome what are grandmothers on the street corners talking to each other in? And what are people buying and selling food and fruit and grain and all that in Rome? Is it Greek? Maybe in some of the um, political deliberations. Maybe in some of the commerce down at the port, you need an international language. They're using Greek. But the vernacular, the street language was Latin, right? It's the Roman language. In fact, when we, when you're reading the book of Acts, there's, there's Jews from Rome and they hear the gospel in a miracle in the Roman language, in Latin. So why is it that in Rome, the earliest documents that we have from church fathers and tradition is that the liturgy, the divine liturgy, the Mass in Rome, was not said in the vernacular, it was said in Greek. There's always been the idea, going back to Judaism, to the Old Testament, that there is language that is elevated, that is canonized, that is used in a liturgical setting. So, for example... If you went to liturgy early on, and St. Mark, according to tradition, evangelized Egypt. If you went to liturgy in Egypt in the year 100 or 150 or 200, you heard the liturgy and the scriptures in Greek. Greek was an international language, but it wasn't the vernacular. The people in the streets and at home were speaking Egyptian, which we've come to know as the language, Coptic language. They had their own Egyptian language, but they had a liturgical, biblical language, which was Greek, so that the Catholicity of the church could be maintained in Greek. So the idea that all ancient liturgies were in the raw street vernacular is not the case. It's not true. As you get even later on in, say, the time of St. Patrick, we mentioned the Irish, St. Patrick goes to the island of Ireland to evangelize these pagan people, Druid people, 
idolatrous Irish people, and he converts the whole island to Christ. They are Catholic Christians in a generation. He preaches the gospel, sermons, and catechizes them in the Irish language. Thanks be to God. It's beautiful. But every blessed Sunday, they heard Mass in Latin, and they heard the Bible in the Mass read in Latin. And if they became monks and joined the monastery, they chanted the Psalms every day in Latin. Yeah, but Taylor, they didn't know Latin. They were Irishmen. I know. That's the point. The early church, the early evangelization, the early monasteries, the monks, the priests, the bishops, they, came, they spoke all kinds of languages. There wasn't even one German. There was probably 30 different forms of German. There were multiple forms of Polish, multiple forms of, of Spanish, multiple. There was Frankish, which was not French. It was a Germanic language. Up until the 1900s, there was something like a hundred forms of, of Italian spoken in Italy. Like, for example, the Vene I've heard there's still people in Venice who speak the old Venice Italian. So the early the idea that vernacular was just an assumption in the early church is not true. One of the cool things about the Latin Mass, I always say traditional Latin Mass, but the traditional Latin Mass is actually the Mass of the three tongues, the three languages. Maybe we can meme that. The traditional Latin Mass has majority Latin, but it also has a lot of Greek in it, Greek words. And, of course, there's the Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison, Lord of mercy, Christ of mercy, the ninefold. That's Greek. And it also has Hebrew in it. Remember, there's three languages on the cross. I go into this in my book, The Eternal City. It's the third part in my Origins of Christianity trilogy. I talk about how when Christ died on a Roman cross, not a Greek cross, not a Coptic cross, not a Persian cross. He died on a Roman cross. His body was nailed to the cross and also nailed to the cross was an inscription in three languages, the three tongues. Hebrew, some people debate on Aramaic. I say Hebrew. Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. And those are the languages in the Latin Mass. We have Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. You say, Hebrew? Hebrew's in the Latin Mass? You better believe it. Amen, which we end every prayer with, is Hebrew. Alleluia, which introduces the gospel, is Hebrew. It means praise the Lord. Ale, praise, allelu, praise, Yah, Yahweh, the Lord. What else? Hosanna which we say right before the Roman canon. Again, and then also um, Sabaoth, armies, hosts. We say that in the Mass. So when we say these words, Amen, Alleluia, Hosanna, Sabaoth, we are carrying with us the Hebrew tradition into the Latin Mass. And when we say those Greek words, we're also carrying in that Greek tradition in the Latin Mass. The Latin Mass is actually multilingual. Think about that. What's sad is the Novus Ordo wipes all that stuff out. Instead of saying Kyrie eleison, they say, Lord have mercy. You know, instead of saying Sabaoth, they say, Lord of hosts. Why not keep it? 
So, so much of what is claimed to be ancient, as you can see, is actually not that honest. If you went, and, and part of that has to do with the 60s, the 50s, the 60s, and 70s, the idea that the early Christians were kind of like, like a, in a commune, like a hippie commune, where they all kind of gathered together around a table, a wooden table, and they were just sort of like having fellowship, a potluck dinner. Like obviously, that's what the early church was like. It turns out, no, the early church actually thought of itself as the kingdom of God. <laughs> Remember, Christ and John the Baptist are preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is near. All the parables are about the kingdom of God. So if Christ is is bringing in his kingdom, he's the king of the Jews, king of kings, and he's bringing in this kingdom, which he talks about over and over in the four gospels, and then you see in the book of the apocalypse, the kingdom crashing into this world and destroying the beast and all. So it's a, it's a battle of kingdoms. Well, if Christ is the king and he's bringing in the kingdom and the church is a kingdom, then wouldn't our relationship with him, our interface, when he institutes the sacraments in the Eucharist, it's going to be kingly. It's the kingdom of God. The priests, the bishops are stewards. This is biblical language. Stewards of the kingdom. Stewards of the mysteries. So walking around like a bunch of hippies in a commune is not the kingdom. Go back in the Old Testament. Read about the kingdom of Israel. It was formal. It was beautiful. It was reverent. Why? Because you're dealing with the one true God. Not idols. Not fertility cults. The one true God. And you're dealing with the anointed king of God. David and his descendants. And there was great reverence. You could even say fear. Honorable fear. Respect. And that's how Jewish liturgy was. It's how Jewish court life was. And Christ and his apostles, remember Christ tells the apostles they will sit judging the 12 tribes on thrones. This is not a hippie commune. It's certainly not this. So as liturgy manifests itself in Catholicism, in the Catholic Church, the universal church, we see incense, gold, stone, carving, iconography, beauty, stained glass, magnificent architecture, gorgeous vestments, the best of the best of the best. Yeah, but Taylor, no. It is continued from, here I wrote a, a, another book called The Crucified Rabbi. This is the first book. The book next to it is the third book. The Crucified Rabbi. I talk about how everything in Catholicism derives from the reverence and the liturgy and the sacramental vision of what was instituted by God through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and King David. Catholicism is the fulfillment, the terminus of everything in the Old Testament. 
This is why when you look at ancient liturgy, you can go to Syria. You can go to India. You can go to Egypt. You can go to the Holy Land. You can go to North Africa. You can go to Greece. You can go to Slavonic countries. And people are going to say, well, yeah, um, Cyril Methodius had vernacular, Marshall. Gotcha. No. Old Church Slavonic is not a vernacular. At that time, no one spoke Old Church Slavonic. It was a language created by Cyril Methodius to unite the Slavic people in the liturgy. It was not a vernacular. There weren't people walking around talking to each other in Old Church Slavonic. It's a liturgical language. You go to ancient France, ancient Ireland, ancient Denmark, all of these places where Catholicism had manifested itself. What do you see? Gregorian chant, Greek chant, Byzantine chant, Coptic chant, which, by the way, is different, but remarkably similar when you go back into the ancient church. You see magnificent vestments, magnificent architecture. There's distinctions. A Byzantine church looks different than a, a German Gothic church, but the themes are the same. The sacred place, the sanctuary is cut off. It's designated. The altar is ornate, decorated, candles, lamps, icons. There's a continuity, not only over time from the first century until Vatican II, but a continuity over space, geography. And then yet we're told as Roman Catholics in 1969, yeah, all that stuff is bad. Take out the statues, take out the icons, take out the candles, take out the altars, the marble altars, put in Ikea tables. Get rid of this 2,000-year legacy of chant, which, by the way, goes into the Old Testament. They've shown that parts of Roman chant actually derive from Jewish chant. No, we don't want that. What we really want is this. No. They tricked people. It's not really their fault. They were told by so-called experts exactly what, you know, Catherine gets boosted on Friday says, you know. She's been told a lie. She says, or right here, on the other hand, the Novus Ordo dates back to the first century, which is just a lie. Probably not her fault. She was probably told that by her Jesuit friend. The traditional, and this is why when you talk to a Greek Orthodox or especially a Russian Orthodox, and you talk about Catholicism, they think the Novus Ordo is so silly. You know, even the Russian patriarch was like, when the Novus Ordo came out, he was not a fan of what the Roman Catholics were doing. They were scrapping the ancient first millennium liturgy for something that was created in the 1960s by a questionable man, Anibal Bugnini. I talk about Anibal Bugnini in Infiltration. There's your daily book plug. So if you want to be in contact with the great liturgical tradition going back not just to Christ in the Twelve Apostles, but going back to King David, 
to Moses and Aaron, to Abraham and Jacob. If you want to be part of that legacy, which develops and then with Christ shoots up and we see it in the apocalypse. You can learn more about that in my book, The Crucified Rabbi. You can get it on Amazon or bookstores. I show how the seven sacraments derive from the ancient mosaic liturgical customs, baptism, confirmation, holy orders, everything, the liturgy. <clears throat> it's not with the 1960s product. It's with the old school traditional product, the traditional Latin mass. I am convinced 100%. There is no doubt in my mind. If you brought St. Peter or St. Paul or St. Thomas or St. John, any of the 12 apostles, and you showed them the divine liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, they would be like, there's some differences there. Wow, it's interesting. We didn't actually do that part when we were on earth. But yeah, that's, that's what we did. And I'm also convinced if you showed them a traditional Latin Mass, a pontifical high Mass, they would be like, yeah, no, we didn't do maybe that and that, but that's, that is the package that we presented with people. We were manifesting the kingdom of God with Christ the King every day, every Sunday with the people of God and God's kingdom, Christ. They wouldn't recognize a monstrance, but they'd be like, oh, that's, that's good. I like that. Monstrance. Good. That is the liturgical legacy. And I think it's you know interesting that people who love the Novus Ordo are all about ecumenism and, oh, we got to bring everybody together, and all, which is, you know, schism's bad, mortal sin. But how can we honestly look at the Greek Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox, or the Coptic Orthodox and say, hey, we carry the apostolic tradition of the apostolic see of Rome. We want you to come to this. Please. Join us at the altar as we can celebrate this Novus Ordo thing. Really? You really think the Russian Orthodox patriarch is going to look at that and be like, legit, let's do it. No, not going to happen. All right, if you like this video, give it a thumbs up. Share it on Facebook. There's a little share button below. Click the share, hit Facebook, share it. You are my algorithm. And if you're new, please subscribe. Lots of new subscribers the past couple weeks. So welcome to all the new subscribers. And make sure that you do hit that bell. And when you hit the bell, you'll be notified whenever I go live. I'm live right now. So thanks very much for watching. And um, make sure you're praying that rosary every single day. Praying the rosary is praying the Our Father that Christ taught us. It's praying the angelic salutation that we find in the Gospel of Luke. It's praising the Holy Trinity as the apostles did. The rosary is just a bouquet, a development of doing what the early Christians did and then meditating on scenes from the four canonical gospels. That's what the rosary is. So pray the rosary every day or you're not on team. Uh, thanks to all the Patreons 
who are supporting. We'll be doing a giveaway for a rosary coming up. So if you'd like to be in that drawing and win a rosary, go to patreon.com forward slash DR Taylor Marshall. Also send you some signed books and other great things to learn more about what you can receive and how you can help. Go to patreon.com forward slash DR Taylor Marshall. And I appreciate and thank all the current patrons. Um, if you're looking to find a Latin mass, I recommend calling up or contacting betterrealestateforlife.org. That's a .org. They can help you sell your house where you're at with a Catholic pro-life real estate agent and then buy a home in a great place like where I live, Texas. And you can find traditional Catholic schools, traditional Latin mass, a community that builds you up and reinforces our beliefs. So I recommend realestateforlife.org to help you with that task. If you want to do the great Catholic migration and relocate, because, you know, politically and in the church, things are kind of hard. I was talking to a, a couple after mass and they said, yeah, we know you've been bringing your puppies on, your dogs on. I said, yeah, you know, it's pretty bad. The world's pretty bad. Politics are bad and things in the church are pretty bad when the Dr. Taylor Marshall show has puppies in it. But I mean, the puppies just make you feel better. Uh, unfortunately, Duke was asleep. Daisy was, was asleep before I did the show, so I can't have him with me. What else? I think that's it. We'll pray a Hail Mary together. Oremos nomine Patris et Fidei et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tu, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, or pernobis peccatoribus, nunc et etor mortis nostre. Amen. Nomine Patris et Fidei et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right, thanks for watching. And remember, our Lord Jesus Christ is you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless and God speed. And if you want to take those online classes and learn about the Roman Rite, newsaintthomas.com. I'll help you out over there. Bye.